All right, well, uh, as Rich said tonight, we're continuing this series looking at our values, what we value as a church, and we're thinking about growing. And uh, so to start off, uh, I just want to give you a moment to stop and think back over your life and try to think of some of the ways that you have grown or changed. And not just kind of grown taller, not just grown bolder, uh, but think about the ways that maybe your character has changed or uh, some sort of the ways your habits, new habits that you might have formed. Think about the ways, uh, you know, a time maybe when you experienced something that changed the way you look at the world, that kind of growing. I know some of you have a lot less time to be looking back over than others of you. I'm not trying not to look anyway here. Um, but uh, just take a moment. I'm going to give you a minute to think about, try to think of some ways that you have grown and changed uh, through your life. How did you grow? Not if you thought of at least one way that you've changed or grown. Some very still heads. Some very befuddled looks. Um, throughout our lives, we grow, right? We, we learn new skills and we develop new ways of thinking. Sometimes our values change. Uh, I can remember when I was in year 11 or 12 and I didn't know what I wanted to be after I finished school and so mum and dad paid for me to do this like quite expensive kind of session with this expert and I did all these aptitude tests and all these kind of filled out all these quizzes about my values and that sort of stuff and what came out was basically my great priority in life was to make as much money as I possibly could and I've ended up here. So our values change uh, and we, we get new commitments over time as well. Uh, I think I think if I was to look back over my life, I, I could probably say I've probably grown a little more courageous this much uh, over time and probably more recently grown a little better at managing my anxiety and maybe not caring quite as much what other people think about me. But sometimes it's hard to grow, right? Sometimes we actually resist growing. Sometimes... I like to think I don't actually need to grow. Sometimes I don't feel like I can grow. And sometimes I want to grow or change, but I don't know how to. And so in my experience, growing can be painfully slow. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward and one step back, or even one step forward and two steps back. That's the really depressing bits. But 
but it's hard. It can be slow. And yet growing is vital for life. It's particularly vital for the Christian life because we have a goal that we're moving towards. Uh, We have someone who we want to grow to be more like. And so growing is vital for the Christian life, and that's why it is something we value here at church. Uh, And that's why we're talking about growing tonight. Uh, Over the last five weeks, as I said, we've been uh, looking at what we value as a church. Tonight, this is our fifth value. Here's how we explain it. We call it grace renewal. It's about growing. And this is how we put it. We say, we grow to be more like Jesus by fixing our hearts on his glory and grace because deep change only occurs as our desire for him reorders all the other desires of our hearts. You can see that this grace renewal idea, it's about what we want to grow to be. It's about how we grow. It's about who grows us. Those sort of big questions. And so that's why tonight we're looking at this passage we've just read from Luke chapter 7. That's the passage we're going to focus on tonight because it's it's all about transformation. Here we meet the sinful woman whose life has changed. And here we meet some people who are resisting change. And here we meet a man who needs to change. And as we read about the way they interact with Jesus, we notice some really important things about how people grow and about the kind of people we want to grow into. And most importantly, I think we notice that even though change can be difficult and even threatening and unsettling, God doesn't leave us alone in it. Actually, it's, it's God who grows us. So this is what we want to know tonight. How is it that God grows us? And this is a massive topic, of course, much bigger than you can cover in one sermon. So we're not going to cover every single, even even every important part tonight. But we're going to cover the bits that we can see kind of emerging from this passage in Luke chapter 7. So if you've got a Bible there in front of you, open up, if it's not already, to Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And we're going to focus on three aspects of this story that help us to grow. So, got it? We're good? Let's begin. Okay. Um, This story starts off peacefully enough. There's a Pharisee named Simon, and he invites Jesus for a meal and a whole bunch of other people as well. And of course, we know that in traditional cultures, this sort of hospitality, it's a very significant gesture to invite someone into your home. And so even though we're not told what Simon's motives are explicitly here, um, he doesn't seem to be trying to trick or trap Jesus. He actually seems to be genuinely trying to understand who Jesus is. And so I find that as I begin reading this passage, there's this sense of kind of curiosity here from Simon, a degree of openness as his guests kind of all sit down for this meal, or actually they're not sitting um, in typical, traditional, ancient, Middle Eastern style. They're reclining, and uh, I think the way they did it was that there'd be a low table in the middle and they'd kind of recline. I guess that means sort of half lay down on your side with your head in towards the table so you can grab the food and your feet facing out away from the table. I think that's how it works, something like that. Um, And so this is what they're doing. And so you can imagine here, it's, it's a nice scene in verse 36 there. You can imagine the sound of kind of food being served and I was going to say glasses clinking. I don't think they had glass, but anyway, drinking vessels clinking. That even rhymes. And um, the buzz of conversation, right? It's a nice scene in verse 36. And then suddenly you get to verse 37 and the peace is shattered. This woman bursts into the room and they know her, or at least they know of her. She has a reputation. She's a sinner, Luke tells us. 
And although he doesn't actually spell out what that means, we can guess. She's dodgy. She's trashy. She seems morally inferior. And so she just shatters the peace at Simon's party. This is a scandal because remember, Simon's a Pharisee. And so as a Pharisee, that means he's someone who, his great passion in life is about purity. Uh, He believes that the nation of Israel needs to purify itself so that God's kingdom will come. And so he not only observes the laws that God has given for Israel, he also tries to keep all the laws and the rules and the traditions that the Pharisees have built up on top of God's laws. They did that to kind of make sure they were extra pure. Kind of like when you put, build a fence around, you know, a cliff so you don't fall off the cliff. You build the fence sort of further and further back from the cliff. It's like that's what their rules were to do, to keep them from falling off the cliff and breaking one of God's laws. And so for Simon, you know, there's this sense of moral superiority um, that the Pharisees kind of like to think of themselves as kind of the true Israel, um, unlike the other kind of Jews who were less than pure. So Simon's very concerned for his own purity and he's very concerned for the purity of those who would come into his home and so clearly this woman doesn't belong. So what's he going to do in this moment? It's a crisis for him. Here's this woman and she's weeping and she's um, drying Jesus' feet with her hair. That's kind of awkward, I'm sure, in their culture as in ours. She's, she's um, anointing, his, um, anointing? Yeah, uh, his feet with ointment. Um, Simon is not at all impressed. And, and the thing that makes him even more disturbed is that Jesus seems completely fine with it. Jesus doesn't make any effort to stop the woman. He doesn't convey any sense of contempt or disdain to her. He doesn't look down on her. And so Simon says to himself, if this man was a prophet, remember he's trying to understand who Jesus is, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. So you can see now Simon's not just judging the woman, he's now also judging Jesus. So he started off curious and open to Jesus, but now he's starting to close himself off. See, he thinks he's a good person, he's highly respected, he's morally superior, and and he likes to have things under control. So even though he's asked Jesus to come into his home, it seems like he's not actually very open to Jesus. He doesn't want to kind of take Jesus on Jesus' own terms. He'd be much more comfortable if Jesus would just fit in with his expectations rather than having his expectations have to fit in with Jesus. Uh, I think Simon, for Simon, he, he doesn't think he needs a saviour, I think. And he doesn't want a Lord. He just wants everything under control. And so he starts to close himself off from Jesus. And I wonder if we can relate to that a bit. You know, is it possible that we get so comfortable with the way life is or maybe so busy we just kind of get into our patterns and our habits and our routines and our commitments that we're no longer open to Jesus? That we're no longer trying to think, you know, how would he have me grow and change? Uh, Two years ago when I was invited to go to the Philippines with Compassion, my default response was just to say no. Like, it seemed crazy to me. It didn't make any sense. Uh, It didn't fit in my schedule. It didn't seem like a good use of time. 
I actually only got an invite at all because Andrew was invited because he's the important one. He got invited and he was so busy doing something fun that uh, he flicked the invitation onto me. So it was just completely random and I like to be planned. So I didn't think I should go. And I was talking to Claire about it. She said, well, maybe you should go and just be open to what God might do. That's not really how I roll. You know, sometimes I'm open to what God might do and I do try to listen to him. But actually, I like to be in control. Well, I listened to Claire, of course, and so, as you know, I went on the trip and and I've talked once or twice um, about it. And God led me into such extreme poverty that in the first few days there, it just broke my heart. And then in the next few days, he started to put my heart back together. But he didn't just put it back in the way that it was before. I grew out of it. Because, you know, as I kept walking into those projects, I kept meeting all these people who had nothing except for Jesus, and yet who in Jesus had everything they needed. You know, and so they, they had nothing. But they had this amazing joy and this, this solid hope that wasn't shaken by their circumstances. And so I came home from that trip. You know, with so much greater confidence that Jesus is all that I need. See, if you want to grow, here's a starting point. Maybe ask yourself, am I open to what God might do in me? How might he want to grow me? And of course, it doesn't mean that you have to go on a trip to the Philippines, although it just so happens there's one uh, next year in October, if you're free. No, it just means, it means asking, am I open to seeing how I might need to change? Am I open to following Jesus wherever he leads? Am I willing, you know, to take risks for my faith, even if it's unsettling or, or stretching? because I know that God actually often chooses to work in moments like those. Am I, am I willing to, to be open to God? Because I, I know that he often does his work when things aren't going to my plans or when I am feeling under stress. You know, I think this is one of the things we see in Luke chapter 7, that crisis is actually an opportunity if we're open to what God might do. And so that brings us to the, the second aspect of this story that I just want to uh, focus on here. I want us to identify the lever for change. Uh, any book that you read, any blog, any consultant that you hire, any um, kind of self-help guru, any preacher that you listen to has a theory about, what's the giggles? Ben, Ben's got consultants, he's one. It's all good. Phew. Wayne, he's like, you know, gets called in to help people. Anyway, all these people who try to help you grow or change have a theory about how it works, they, whether they know it or not. And there's a particular lever that they will try to pull, a particular button that they'll try to push to help you grow and change. And so some of them will focus mostly, you know, on, they'll say the way that you change is by learning more. So the lever is knowledge. Some will say that the way you change is just is by trying harder. So the lever is kind of effort. 
some will focus on your behavior and so they'll they'll say if you want to change start by changing little habits and they'll snowball into bigger ones and all those things are important when it comes to change but what lever does jesus pull to help us grow that's what we're thinking about so let's take a look at verse 40 jesus spoke up and said to him simon i have something to say to you teacher he replied speak now notice that even though simon has become increasingly closed off from jesus jesus stays completely open to him while simon's been judging jesus jesus has been loving him and now simon actually seems to respond to that in a positive way he's he's not closed off completely he's willing to listen and so jesus tells him this parable he says a certain creditor has two debtors one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they couldn't pay he cancelled the debts for both of them now which one of them will love him more and simon gets the answer right i suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt now of course jesus isn't just talking hypotheticals here he's actually really talking about simon and the woman and his point the point he's making is this that love is the lever for change those who are loved greatly will love greatly so on one hand we have this woman her many sins have been forgiven her great debt to god has been cancelled she's been greatly loved and so she loves greatly and on the other hand we have simon and and jesus draws out the contrast between simon and the woman it must have been a little bit painful for simon i think at this point you can see it there in verse 44 he asks him a pretty pointed question he says do you see this woman i think that's what's going on in this picture here you can see how he's holding his hand do you see this woman I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet but she's bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair you gave me no kiss but from the time I came in she's not stopped kissing my feet you did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment why doesn't Simon show great love Jesus gives the answer in verse 47 he says the one to whom little is forgiven loves little see Simon's just so confident in his goodness that he can't see the depth of his sin he can't see how great his debt is to God he's thinking you know if I've got a debt to God I must be uh, I'm the kind of 50 denario kind of guy and so Jesus offer of forgiveness hardly seems necessary for him here's how it works Simon doesn't think he needs God's forgiveness so he doesn't seek God's forgiveness and so he doesn't receive God's forgiveness and therefore he doesn't experience God's great love this is why he doesn't show great love because he hasn't he, he doesn't know how great God's love is see the lever for change is love that's what changed this woman Think about what her life was like before once she was a sinner is what we're told who was pushing god away now she is literally grabbing hold of jesus and she does it like not caring at all what other people think about her now she doesn't not worrying about what it's going to cost she gets that you know alabaster jar of ointment she doesn't even care about the hygiene issues of drying someone's feet with her hair because she cares about jesus so much that all her other cares fade into the background because jesus love for her is so great all the other things that she loves matter a bit less than they used to 
be unlike everyone else, judging and excluding her. Here she's met this man who forgives and welcomes her, and in his presence she's loved. And this is how we change. Believer is love. If you want to change, the best thing you can do is to fix your eyes on the love of Jesus and see how lovely he is. And if you find that hard to do, because it kind of sounds maybe like a bit of a cliche, fix your eyes on Jesus. Try looking at him through this woman's eyes. You know, what does she see? She sees this man who's in a high-pressure situation. She walks into a room and there's Jesus. He's surrounded by all these people who are watching him closely and ready to judge him. And yet she bursts in and she makes this scene in that moment where he's under great pressure and he's not embarrassed by her at all. He doesn't try to push her away or laugh at her. In fact, he shows no concern for his own reputation. His great concern is for her. Isn't that amazing? The one who never sinned himself, he wears all the fallout for her sins and failings because he loves her. And so she wants him to be her saviour and she wants him to be her Lord because in her eyes, Jesus is more lovely than anyone else. Can you see him? Oh, Jesus is more reliable than anyone else. His words are more truthful. His actions are more humble and gentle. He is strong and courageous and oh so generous that he not only forgives this woman's great debt, but he holds out forgiveness to you and to me. On the cross, he wore the fallout for our sins and failings too. When we showed little love to him, he was full of love for us. And so his love is the lever for change because he's more lovely than anyone else. And this is how change works, right? Let's try to kind of ground it a little. It's how the change works. As you grow in your love for Jesus, it helps put everything else that you love in its right place. It rearranges all the other things you care about, your family and your reputation and your lifestyle and your freedom so that you love them, but not too much and not too little, but the right amount and in the right way because you love Jesus most of all. Well, let's try to get a kind of concrete example. Just think of a situation where you feel under pressure to perform. It might be at school. It might be know in your among your peers when you're studying at, at uni it might be in the workplace or, or in some kind of relationship where you just feel this pressure to kind of impress people and yet you're, you're worried about what people think and now just think you know what would happen if before you walked into that room or before you sat that exam you remembered how great the love of Jesus is for you If you remembered that there is no human disapproval that could take that love away, wouldn't that change the way that you move into those situations? Love is the lever for change. 
And so that brings us to our final point, um, the goal. The goal of growth. Uh, At the end of Jesus' conversation with Simon, um, we see this contrast again between Simon and the woman, and it sets up this tension for us because she goes home forgiven. Jesus says, go in peace to her. But what's going to happen to Simon? The woman who caused the turmoil leaves in peace, while those who were, you know, reclining peacefully around the table, they're left in turmoil. But what's going to happen to Simon? Is he going to change? Will he be forgiven? Is he going to grow? Will he change from being a man who loves little to a man who loves much? What's the answer? Luke doesn't flip and tell us. He leaves the question hanging. But what he does tell us, what he makes clear is the goal of change. Just step back from that for a moment. Think about um, the kind of changes that people talk about in our culture, in our society. Where, you know, we're very invested in helping people grow. There's whole industries set up for it. I was looking up um, life coaches the other day. You know, in our, in our kind of context, the goal for change is sometimes, it's often self-fulfillment, self-actualization, kind of making the, the most of yourself. Other times it, it would be career or business success. You know, if you call Ben's company in to help you out, that, that would be the goal of change, right? Well, the goal of change might be to improve your love life. You know, there's endless kind of articles and blogs about how to do that if you haven't stumbled across them yet. But for Jesus, the goal of growing is much grander. It's not just about becoming the person you want to be. It's about becoming a person who loves like Jesus. Our goal is to grow more like him. All those things we said before, more truthful, more humble and gentle, strong and courageous and oh so generous and forgiving generously cancelling people's debts showing great love not just to our friends and our family but to those who show little love to us because our goal is to love like Jesus and this is how he loved this is the kind of community we want to be we want to be a church which shows great love we want to be a church that doesn't care about impressing people we want to be people who don't care about being comfortable We want to be a church full of people who are willing to take risks and open themselves to what God might do in us because we care about Jesus and we want people to see how lovely he is. And across our church, there's just so many different ways that this will play out for us. It'll play out in all our structures and our ministries, in the way that we do outreach, you know, in our Christmas carols that we do every year or our carnival that we've just done really only a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, and play out in those structures. But it'll also play out in our own personal kind of, the way we live it out in our own personal life. It'll play out in the way that we welcome someone new who comes in those doors. It'll play out in the way that we love our neighbours and forgive those who wrong us and the way that we make our decisions about our directions in life. The goal of growing is to be more like Jesus and that will play out. It'll shape all these different things. And so rather than me just coming up with this whole long list of sort of abstract kind of ideas of how you might need to grow, 
uh, what I want to do is just finish by giving you again just a, a moment or two to stop and reflect. We started by thinking about how you've grown in the past. Now I want you to use the next minute or two to be open to what God might do in you. To fix your eyes on Jesus and focus on what he's like. To listen to what he might be saying to you. And how he might want you to grow more like him. See if you can think of one way that Jesus might want you to grow.